Welcome to I'll Meet You in the Lobby lockdown series. This is the last of our series in lockdown, but we are here at home today and uh, and restrictions have been lifted, so I have been able to have my guests come to my home. So I'd like to welcome Meryl Martindale. Meryl, welcome to I'll Meet You in the Lobby lockdown. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Jacinta. It's really fun. Oh, and thank you for, and thank you for being here. You're... Um, a lot of people won't know this, but you and I used to work in the same building together, and um, we we worked with um, with people that, well, I worked with people that had barriers to employment, and uh, and and yourself, you um, well, maybe you'd like to give us your background story yeah. so people know your background. Well, I've worked as an outreach worker for people suffering from homelessness and risk of homelessness, um, financial disadvantage. And I've travelled all over Gippsland doing that, and I've done it for the past 20 years. So, Meryl, why I've invited you here today mm. is because I know you've just been such a hard... I've watched the work you've done over the last couple of years um, when I did work in the same building as you. Um, and obviously with this pandemic at the moment, there is going to be probably increased homelessness, especially around Australia, um, a lot of our hospitality industry and um, the travel industry have been, tourism industry in general has been affected. So there are a lot of casual workers that don't have the support network, um, possibly don't have the support network or even the backup from the government um, with JobKeeper and the JobSeeker um, payments. Can you share with us COVID how COVID-19 has impacted many careers who are the most vulnerable at the moment and why? Well, as you said, casual workers are very vulnerable at the moment because they've been unable to access the job seeker payment. Um, this exposes them to being at risk of homelessness, um, particularly if they haven't got really good support networks such as family and friends um, and they're invaluable assets to have but not everybody has them. Um, I know from hearing uh, and uh, on the grapevine basically the the people in the arts community are also facing these challenges yeah. and um, it's really difficult and I'm hopeful that the government will come around seeing that they've um, underestimated the um, the economic uh, consequences of the COVID nineteen, um, and will supplement start to supplement casual workers. Uh, it hasn't happened as yet. Yeah. So, yeah. so Meryl, can you share with us currently? Because a lot of a lot of there were a lot of people that were already homeless that. Um, over this time, they've been able to lock down into hotels. A lot of the hotels have opened up their yeah. rooms. Apparently, um, that's been really, um, really good thing that's happened. Uh, so they've brought people off the streets that haven't been um, off the streets for years yeah. and uh, put them, connected them with um, social workers and working on issues that they haven't been able to address. Um, homelessness isn't just not having a home. It's usually caused by family breakdown, family violence, mental health, drug and alcohol. Lots and lots of things can 
contribute to you becoming homeless and, and or it being at risk. And uh, it's really important to connect with services, if you can, that will help you address some of these things and take the pressure um, off you. Where, where can people like find these services? What's out there at the moment? What what could you suggest well, for people of, that find themselves? There are agencies, yeah. and um, if you had have asked me twenty years ago, <laughs> what would I do if I was homeless? I wouldn't have had a clue. And most people don't realise that there are agencies out there that are set up to help people with different issues. Um, the most local governments have healthcare services. They're good starts. Going to your local library and asking where to go is is a good resource. And all these resources are free. There are housing um, agencies such as Salvation Army, um, Anglicare, um, non-denominational agencies as well, Anglicare, I think I said that. <laughs> and, they, and they do a wonderful job too. Oh, they I, do. I used to um, deal with some of these agencies when I was helping people with barriers yeah. uh, to employment get into these places. But can you share with us currently how many properties are available for rent here in Victoria or nationally um, at the moment that are affordable for a single person on Newstart and, and how do they, they expect this to change during the pandemic? Because there's not a lot... You don't receive a lot on Newstart. No. Newstart's $270 a week. Yeah. Um, most average rents in a regional area start at $240. That $240, yeah, $240 a week. And that gives you $30 to pay your electricity, gas, feed yourself meet your mutual obligation with Centrelink, that's finding your 10, dollar, 10 jobs a, a fortnight, it's, it's an impossible task. Um, since the COVID, they put up New Start and they're now calling it Job Seeker and they've doubled the payment. Now, I've spoken to an ex-client of mine in the meantime and he thinks it's wonderful at the moment because he's working part-time he's underemployed and he's still supplemented a little bit by what was the old new start so he is receiving job seeker uh and he he's been able to put new tires on his car for the first time in years and this just gives him the ability to a seek more work um, and empowers him he feels better about himself that he's able to do a few more things buy a bit more food and yeah buying food staying healthy is one of the big um uh, big incentives to paying people properly and keeping them out of poverty yeah and especially with um so much so so much unemployment around at the moment um it's going to be tough i mean it's, it's even though the, the the payment has been increased, it's still going to be tough to oh, keep things going, especially if you have a family. Yes. Um, after all this is over, do you think the government will, you know, pull that down, pull it back to where it was? Or well, do you they're think talking about their snapback, mm-hmm. um, which is very disheartening. Yeah. Um, particularly, I, I find um, the job seeker snapback to be the harshest because if they talk about going back to new start 
they start putting a whole, a whole lot of people at risk again. Um, I think it's really hard call to make at this stage on what businesses are going to survive mm. and who's going to maintain work. And I think a whole lot of people on JobKeeper at the moment, if they then have to job drop to job seeker, mm. that's when there will be real social issues because people won't be able to afford the rents they're currently paying, um, the mortgages, um, the children's school fees. Mm. It's across the board then and it's really difficult to know where that's going to fall. Can you share the benefits with me? or with us, I should say, to our listeners, um, the benefits of what they did with with people taking them off the streets, putting them into housing or, or, or the hotel in, into um, some sort of accommodation, mm. how that benefits them and how that is a positive in the long run. Mm. Can you sort of share Well, that it offers us? safety for starters. It gives people a warm bed to sleep in. Um, it, it creates um, a huge amount of safety. People having three square meals a day increase their health benefits are enormous. Um, it gives an opportunity for agencies to come in and assist people with financial counselling or drug and alcohol counselling um, linking people into housing services, um, getting them onto housing lists or updating their details for public and community housing. Um, and it, it just gives a, a wraparound, an opportunity to give a wraparound service to people and keep them connected. Um, it won't work for everybody, but it has for a lot, a lot of people, I believe. Uh, I think you mentioned to me before we had a chat before the podcast, and you you mentioned that um, a lot of people move around a lot, so they don't get that that continuous um, help. Yeah. Whereas having them housed in a hotel, or if they do find some sort of housing for them, um, how much that that will benefit yeah. them in getting to their you know, fighting. I think, I think I gave you the example. I, I worked with a, a, a gentleman who was homeless um, in the Bass Coast area and it was really frustrating. I would drive down to Bass Coast, which was a 120-kilometre trip um, one way um, to find, go and see him. And if he wasn't in the location that he was... I thought he was going to be in trying to find him or track him down took hours yeah. and you can't achieve what you want to achieve with the person because they're so unstable um, stability is such a huge thing when working with people um, because you can do so much more to assist them and I suppose if um, they haven't got any mental health issues they will by the end because if they don't have this assistance uh, and um, help, you know, especially housing and, and food and um, assistance by uh, people that caseworkers. Um, then, yeah, their mental health must. You oh, know. it suffers enormously. I think um, anybody that I've watched the SBS program, uh, Filthy Rich and Homeless, yes, can yeah. see the adverse effects of even. A couple of days on the street can have on somebody oh. um, the insecurity, the fear, um, particularly uh, stronger for women 
and there's a far it's a growing area of homelessness in Australia women I was just going to touch on that actually have, have you got some stats on that I the... think um, they're saying now that it's 40 percent of uh, rough sleepers are now women um, so they're escaping sexual assault family violence um, and as I said if you don't have the networks or know where to go um and just pure fear of hiding from an ex-partner who's going to hurt you mm. is terrifying. I don't think a lot of people realised. I heard something on the news when we were all put down into lockdown and they said, um, and it really hit home, you know, they, they said all stay home and then a lot of people said actually we're not even safe at home. Some people aren't even safe at home That's true. because of family violence and, and if you're... If that home um, is suffering from unemployment due to the pandemic, plus then they're all locked down under the same roof and it, it could be disastrous. So That's right. no the doubt. Tensions that. created a, a huge... Um, if you have a violent partner, mm. it becomes much worse. Yeah. Um, and you're, you can't... People go, oh, why don't you go? You can't mm. because you're watched. Um your phone usage is watched, who your friendship groups are watched. Mm. Uh, and, and it's so difficult to make a safety plan to leave. It's very difficult. They say that the, um, with family violence, the, 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 safest, the unsafest you'll be is when you actually do leave. Right. Oh. Because that's when uh, a partner will come after you and 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 hurt you that's not all the cases no. that it, it, and it definitely isn't some people i'm talking extreme um but this would cases. have been experienced even more probably over oh the, absolutely time. yeah absolutely yeah. i think it exacerbates everything being um, locked down i read an article recently that amazon has turned empty office buildings into um, a permanent home an empty op- office building i should say into a permanent homeless shelter for families what were your thoughts on this? I think anything that gets people off the street um, and connects them to a community is a good thing, um, it, particularly families with little children or you know, older children, um, to, to um, be linked in and, is, and give them that security is, is a good thing. Mm. Um, not always ideal. Um, some people... Prefer. I mean, ideally, we'd all like to have our own house, our own space, um, and hopefully, this gives it to people. But yeah, it's a great idea. Actually, that's what I was going to ask you. Was the um, with the housing situation at the moment? Um, a lot of people are on a list waiting for housing, mm. um, government housing. Single people, um, especially men, I suppose, and women. What happens there? I know there is a difference because yeah. if you have a family, You're you probably hugely have... hugely disadvantaged yeah. just, being single. Yeah. Um, particularly under 55 mm. um, in, in Victoria I'm speaking about. I'm not... I can't really answer for the other states, but in Victoria, um, if you're single under 55, your chances of getting onto any pub- into any public housing is very limited. The lists are so long. Um, there's been very little government housing public housing building going on in the last 10 or so years there was quite a bit done in the rudd government 
era, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was uh, relieved a lot of um, stress on uh, housing. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of built in the Bass Coast area, community housing that is, um, and uh, we were very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people had been made homeless down there with the building of the um, diesel plant. Sure. The rents all went up in that area and a lot of people were, as soon as their leases came up, they were asked to leave because the landlords could double, triple the rent with yeah. the workers from the diesel. So at the same time, there was community houses built. Right. So we were able to... Get, eventually get people housed into but some of these families? families and families? singles. And we, singles, yeah, okay. Yeah, we've got singles as well, which okay. was good. What? Community housing's a little bit different. Mm. It's usually public money that's gone to, um, not always, but uh, into um, uh, private agencies like Community Housing Limited, there's East Coast Housing, there's... Um, uh, lots of different housing groups and they look after um, and run um, private rental properties basically right. uh, on a similar lines to public housing but it's it's a uh, i would say probably a level up so would that be would that share housing would that no for, no no that would no, be no, their no their own place okay their own place okay. um one of the places that uh, i was telling you about the man living in a car um, mm. I got him housed into a community housing, one of these new community housing units, right. um, several years after they had been built here. I don't think he wasn't the first tenant in there. Mm. But um, in a lovely property, he's been housed now for five years. Right. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're great, great property. They're, they're at a subsidised rent, mm-hmm. um, which all public housing is at a subsidised rent. Yes. Um, so ideally you shouldn't be paying any more than 55% of your income on rent. Right. right. Um, and some people are paying 70 and 80%. Yeah. And yeah. it makes it impossible to to live if you're paying that much in rent. Now, in the city areas, no doubt with obviously the population's a lot higher, is that going to affect – how will that affect um, – say single especially people that have just lost their jobs in hospitality mm. um and if if they are no longer able to you know they, they haven't got an income coming in because it, a lot of them have not been um able to get the job seeker or the job keeper payments what especially if they've come from overseas what sort of housing would they be eligible there's at nothing. the moment there's just nothing and, there's nothing yeah there's nothing um they're uh well, what are the, how about the boarding houses? What are they set up for? I don't know how many boarding houses there are in the city anymore. Yeah, yeah. A lot of those have been gentrified. Have they, um, yeah. And turned into, well, I think they gentrified one of them on television. Yeah, that's right, they did too, the block, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so uh, a lot of the older boarding houses in the city are not available anymore. Um, board, there's very few boarding houses in regional areas that I'm aware of. Some housing or normal housing has been uh, turned into boarding houses. They're generally un- fairly unsafe yeah. places to be. Um, a lot of people that access them um, have um, mental illness and uh, there's a lot of drug and alcohol mm-hmm. associated with 
a lot of these boarding houses. And we're all putting um, the same place together. Yes, and, and putting a whole lot of dysfunctional people together, sometimes not the wisest of ideas, yeah. um, it, it, particularly if they haven't got any support networks. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying everybody with a mental health issue is a dangerous person, but it does create an environment that can be unsafe for people, yeah. um, particularly women. Going yes. into those young girls going into a boarding house mm. can be fraught with danger, mm. and I wouldn't recommend it. And a lot of people choose to sleep on the street because of that. Yeah, right. that that insecurity. If Meryl Martindale was Prime Minister <sighs> of Australia, what changes would you make to our current policies that would assist homelessness? I definitely build more public and community housing. Um, that would be top of my list. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that would create a lot of jobs anyway. Um, and I would um, keep the job seeker payment for people um, because it allows you to deal with a, f- with a bit more dignity, mm-hmm. um, your state of unemployment, and gives you the opportunity to look for employment without being in absolute poverty. Mm. Um, New Start is just a poverty trap for people. There are a lot of services out there, um, we should say too, though, for for people, um, for uh, food... That for food yes. and also for clothing, um, especially if you're looking for jobs and they can't afford to buy clothing at the moment yeah. that would be suitable for job I, interviews. I think some of the charities yeah. do wonderful work. Yeah. Um, sometimes they can only be accessed um, occasionally, right. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but places like Food Bank uh, are, are great places to access assistance um you've got and and approaching an agency where you won't be judged is really great um and 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 agencies generally don't judge people and their circumstances um and i think that's really important that that people aren't judged and i think it's it's probably tough at the moment because a lot of the people that have lost their jobs have never been unemployed right throughout their life and then never required assistance from the government and I think today a lot of them are you know it, it must have a, a, a effect on them you know oh, absolutely to... I, I, I understand that my husband was retrenched mm. about 25 years ago um, and I think the first time that we both fronted Centrelink um, was the most humiliating experience I've ever had in my entire life. And so I really do get that it it, it is humiliating and it takes a lot of um, courage to go, I need help. Mm. Um, but sometimes that's the best way to go and I, go... I, I think this time around the um, the vision on TV of um, and social media of, of people lined up, especially when this all first, you know, took place that first week that we were in lockdown, um, to see the lines of people was just it was just incredible to see that and and just the looks on their faces and the, the unknown like the you know You're the in unknown shock. Yeah. You're in shock I think and mm. when you lose when you lose a job you lose so much more than just a job mm. because you lose your identity as well um and you know people go oh, that's one of the first questions people ask you what do you do mm. and if you don't do anything it's 
really hard yeah. when you've had a role and you're you are that role um, to to face up to the fact that you have to get assistance from somewhere. Yeah. Can you share with us a good news story during your career? Oh, probably, I'm just trying to think. Um, I worked with a young woman um, in her early 20s and um, she'd been badly abused by her family and um, she, um, she was unemployed. Um, she was on a disability pension but she was self-harming, um, managed to keep her housed, help get her to TAFE, um, a job, her licence, and now I believe she's a happily married woman and a mum. Oh, and yeah. probably the most intelligent person I've ever met, this young woman, who didn't go to university and should have. But, yeah, but just... Um, just being there for her was really wonderful to see her change from being so self-destructive to to being having a life. Well, that's one of the reasons I've got you on the podcast today is because I've never come across anybody so hardworking at, and and your colleagues too are hardworking. But you in particular, I, I used to see you were so dedicated to... Um, some of the people that used to come through through our office, and uh, you would you would help them um, assist them. You wouldn't just turn off at five o'clock. You were if there was something to be done, you would help them until mm. they had accommodation or um, for the for the night. Or um, you know, you, I know you have helped a lot of people um, that weren't even able to help themselves. Maybe um, go through a, a process of getting the disability pension, and I used to see you many times helping people go through that process, which is a long process. It is a long process. And uh, it, it's, it's, yeah, amazing. Yeah. No, thank you. I, I, I like to think that um, I treat people like I'd like to be treated if I was in their circumstances. Yeah. And I think um, that's all you can do is treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Exactly. And I think um, we've also had a conversation about... Um, because a lot of people would be out there thinking, you know, how did people get themselves into this situation? But we were talking about before, if you're an only child, for example, and, and you don't have a large family circle and, and you can very easily find yourself oh, by yourself. Falling through cracks. Yeah. And it is really easy to do that. Um, your life circumstances only change a little bit and you're very vulnerable Um Yes, I, but as I said, I, being an only child makes you very vulnerable, um, particularly later in life. If you haven't got good friend networks or you haven't got strong connection to extended family, um, being an only child, when your parents die, you've got no friends, you... you this could be for any reason. You're an introvert, you're or you've you've fallen out with people mm. and people do fall out with each other mm. um don't talk um you find yourself completely alone um and if things start to go wrong they can go very pear-shaped if you don't have a safety net of some sort mm. and family is often the safety net and especially as you get older too uh, if if there's nobody there to sort of um look out for you so mm. f for um you know 
dementia and 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 maybe some sort of mental health or if nobody's watching to see you prog- you know that that I progress I think you become more invisible as you get older um, people just assume that you're okay mm. uh, and when often you're not mm. um, and and look just simple things like um, mowing somebody's lawn mm. if you see somebody's lawn getting a bit long and you know that they don't have a lawnmower. Just going and doing their nature strip yeah. is such a huge thing yeah. for somebody. Yeah. Um, just little things. People don't have to do big things. But if they can do little things, it is so... It humanises yeah. people and, and, and also makes just them feel part of a community. Yeah, and just knowing who neighbours are that may be by themselves or mm. um, are vulnerable in that way. Yeah. And that's the problem today. A lot of people keep to themselves. Just in our world that we live in, a lot of people keep to themselves. So, yeah, and yeah. you could very easily, you know, not be noticed that's if right. you wanted to. Absolutely, you know. absolutely. Well, Meryl, now for some fun questions. <laughs> we'll lighten it up a little bit and, um, and because we are a travel podcast, um, travel and tourism podcast, I've got some travel uh, questions to ask you. Um, but first of all, if, if there was a person in the world um, you would, you'd love to have a private breakfast with or a lunch, who would it be and why? Oh, I'd go Julia Gillard. Oh, she's my pin-up girl. She is. Uh, I yeah, like her. She's... Was Australia's first woman prime minister, probably not in the circumstances that she would have liked to have been, um, but she did some fantastic things. I think while she was prime minister, with difficult parliamentary mm. um, government at the time to mm. deal with, um, and you know, some of her achievements were the. Um, Royal Commission into Institutional Response for uh, to Sexual Abuse and um, the National Disability Scheme, though that hasn't always rolled out the way I don't think she wanted it to. It's still made a big impact on people, so she's been pretty incredible. Um, and I think her leaving office... She's been the most dignified ex-Prime Minister we've had for a while. Um, I think some of them should take a, a lesson. And she continues to do good things too. Oh, she's she does. She's doing some amazing things yeah, at the she, moment. She's an amazing woman, yeah. I think. Yeah. Mira, where is your favourite holiday destination and why? Oh, I love Tasmania. Um, I love the walks in the national parks mm, there. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, the East Coast, Nay. And up to Cradle Mountain on the Northwest Cape. I love oh, that. That's I amazing. Love, love, yeah, just love Tassie. Yeah. I can't get there often enough. And with this lockdown, we missed a trip. We were going to um, Mofo um, in June, which obviously got cancelled. I was really looking forward to that. And yeah, that, I'd go to Tassie anytime. Well, hopefully, you'll be able to rebook that soon. <laughs> yeah. Who do you think is doing it well in the tourism industry at the moment? Oh, that's a hard question, Jacinta. Um, A couple of years ago, I went on a cruise with Princess Cruises and to be fair to them, after all the controversy they've had with um, um, the Ruby Princess, um, they were very diligent about cleanliness. And this was a long cruise, uh, six weeks, and uh, 
my husband John and I went to a whole lot of places we would never have been and it was the food and the service was just amazing and yes so we went to we started off in Sydney on the Emerald Princess and we sailed uh, around Tasmania no around Tasmania sorry around New Zealand and then we went to the islands um like uh, American, yeah, oh, American yeah. Samoa, um, uh, Bora Bora, Marea, Tahiti, um, Hawaii, and then from Hawaii we went to Los Angeles and then Vancouver. Oh wow! And then up into Alaska. And was that on the and, same ship? Yes. Oh wow! Okay. It was two, considered two cruises at the time, yeah. but. Um, uh, it, w- it was on the, all on the same ship. That's why we did it, so we could go into Alaska, and we stopped at quite a few ports in Alaska. And we had a. F- it was, it was a long cruise, but it was as I said, we saw places that we didn't ever think we'd ever go to. Yeah. And I went with my brother and his sister, my sister-in-law. Oh, and it wow. was lovely. And yeah. I, I think it's it's nice to hear actually a, a positive story about cruising because we don't hear a lot of that at the moment and no. I think we'll see because um, a lot of people out there that love cruising and and I think you know it's going to be really interesting to see how the cruise industry um, comes reshapes back. and comes back and mm. I think I think it will I yeah. think it will do it really well I think from a hygiene point of view you you as you say they were they were pretty good anyway they, from, they like were the they, they really um, would quite diligent about uh, hand cleanliness mm. going in and out of eating areas mm. um, and they were always reminding people to um, keep their hands clean mm. be careful what they touched and uh, I thought that was quite impressive and nobody that I came in contact with that I know of was ever ill mm. um, and uh, yeah I, I, I thought they did a good job. What's been your most emotional travel experience? Uh, I couldn't believe. I got off a train in London and came out right at Big Ben and I just burst into tears. Oh, <laughs> and because you'd, I, you couldn't believe I, you were standing I, I, from I, Big Ben. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm not even sure why, but I just cried. Oh, My husband's great. looking at me like I was... I don't know what. About ten years ago. Wow. Yeah. yeah but but just... I still I still get emotional thinking about it was so close. Yeah. And I was there in London and it was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And when the dust settles on COVID nineteen, where do you think your holiday next? Well, um, my husband's a mad cricketer and uh, he had planned a trip to Kangaroo Island wow. to play cricket with the over-60s cricket teams and That's uh, we that. were going there to um, help after the fires and to play cricket and I was really looking forward to that. So I'm hoping we get to do that again soon while I'm on leave. would be really nice. Oh, that sounds terrific. Well, that wraps up our podcast today, Meryl. I'd like to thank you for being on. I'll meet you on the Lobby Lockdown. This is the last series, um, episode for the series. And um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jacinta. It's been wonderful fun. Thank you.